Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, if I didn't get a chance to welcome you at the beginning of the service, welcome to Calvary Chapel, Rochester's live stream service. So glad you guys are with us this morning. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful way to start the day, right? Worshiping the Lord. What a great thing. Hey, so most of you probably are aware that today is Palm Sunday, and this coming Friday is Good Friday. And uh, we are going to be live streaming our Good Friday service in the evening on Friday. So just encourage you, uh, we'll be sending out a, a, a emails and just watch Facebook uh, for when it will be uh, posted live. So uh, in addition to that, we are also going to be doing a virtual uh, communion service dur during the um, uh, Good Friday service. And uh, if you are here in the Rochester area and you're part of our fellowship and you'd like to uh, participate in communion, um, actually, you could do it anywhere. You, you could be anywhere watching it. Um, encourage you in advance of Friday, grab some juice um, and some crackers, something that you can partake with your family or if you're by yourself, um, by yourself there at home. Um, if you are part of our fellowship, uh, we do have, uh, we can deliver uh, communion elements to you. And uh, so, but you need to let us know if you need them. And so if you do that, we will be sure to get them out to you this week. And so uh, we can partake together. That's one of the things that uh, probably the hardest thing I think from all of this is just not being physically with everybody and you know some of the things that we you know we take for granted right every here at Calvary Chapel the first Sunday of the month we have communion and uh, you know we we uh, kind of I, I miss that personally and so uh, we'll have to do it virtually this coming Friday evening but I'm looking forward to that so I hope you can join us Friday evening for a good Friday service um, this morning we are in Leviticus chapter 26 so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 26, um, and then you can follow along with us, and I encourage you to do that. We're not getting sound? Hey, if you are listening live and you are not hearing us, can you just send us a quick message real quick? We're just uh, making sure that our audio is working. Somebody replied already? Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. Um, you know, we're trying to work out some bugs. We have a few things uh, in the pipeline to make the audio even better. Uh, but in the meantime, I tell you, this has been a humbling experience. So uh, in the meantime, we're just uh, doing what we can. So I'm glad that you guys could, uh, you know, give us that feedback. We appreciate it. So I'm going to go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We have another issue. You can pause for just a moment. We're figuring something out. Okay, we're going to test this one more time. Are you guys hearing it? You are hearing it. Maybe it's the cord in my cable or something. Oh, okay. All right. Again, sorry about that, guys, but we're just working out some bugs here. Oh, it's working. Okay, good to know. 
like I said, this has been a humbling experience. And we're working through it, and I'm glad you're patiently uh, hanging out with us. We appreciate that. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into Leviticus chapter 26. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are so grateful for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, just to read your word, to study it, uh, to worship together. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, I pray for anybody that's dealing with... Um, with the illness, with the, with the virus themselves, so, Lord, maybe they have it, they've contracted it. Lord, we pray for your healing power in their lives. Lord, we pray your protection over each of us that uh, maybe we haven't been, uh, we, we haven't been diagnosed, but maybe we've been exposed to it. Lord, I just pray your protection over each and every person that is listening to this live uh, Facebook stream. And so, Lord, as we dig into your word, I pray that you might fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, one of the things that, uh, you know, I was thinking about as we've been studying this is God's love. And, you know, you might be looking at this and saying, uh, you know, we're dealing with another thing again. So, okay. A cable goes right down into that unit right there in the front. Some can hear. So there's a red, there's a yellow light on that on that box. Can you check that real quick and see what does that say? It says what? The, the yellow thing says eight. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Okay. Hey. Several can hear. Some of you can't. Uh, if you can't hear, I apologize for it. By the way, we are going to be uploading this to YouTube, so you can follow along there. We're going to just we're going to just uh, dig in, and, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, you'll be able to hear us. So, like I mentioned, this chapter, you know, as I was reading this chapter, this is uh, nearing the book of uh, end of Leviticus. Right, we have one more chapter after this. God has been instructing His children Israel uh, about His laws. Uh, for them to follow. In chapter 6, it re he really lays it on the line. He says, if you obey these laws, this is going to happen. And he, t and he outlines the blessings for the children of Israel. And then he says, if you choose to disobey, then there's also going to be consequences uh, for disobeying the Lord. And you know, it's true in your and my life too. If we ignore God's laws, there are consequences to our decision. Um, in life, there are certain laws that if you ignore laws, um, there are consequences. Uh, for example, the law of gravity, the, one of nature's laws. If you ignore the law of gravity and, and say I go, and we have a building downtown called the Gonda Building. It's part of the Mayo Clinic system. If I climb up onto the top of that building and do a, a swan dive off of this building, um, I may have ignored the law of gravity, but there's still consequences, right? Uh, I'm probably not going to look too pretty when I land on the ground. And so, you know, we are free to choose or to ignore 
laws and, and, and speaking of the law of gravity. But again, there's consequences. And it's the same thing with God's laws. We can choose to obey God's laws and there are blessings that are found in that. Uh, but we can also choose, because God doesn't force you, we can also choose to disobey and ignore God's laws. And if we do that, again, there's consequences for that. So I'm going to begin here with verses 1 and 2 of Leviticus. If you want to follow along, chapter 26. He says, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And now as we get through verses 3 through 13, God is going to outline for the children of Israel the blessings that are found in obeying him. So beginning with verse 3, he says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your, your uh, threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. So he talks about withholding the rain in its season or giving them the rain in its season, excuse me, if they obey. Uh, and if you think of it, in other words, God's going to bless the work of their hands. This was a society that was an agrarian society. Planting uh, harvests and crops were so important. And so God says, hey, the work that you put into the land, I'm going to bless it. Um, the endeavors that you undertake, you're going to be blessed. And not only that, but you're going to eat your bread to the full. In other words, you're going to be fully satisfied in the work of your hands. And you're going to have peace and safety. You know, that's following God's laws. That's one of the blessings. We have peace safety, satisfaction in life when we're obeying the Lord God. And he blesses our undertakings. Verse 6, I will give you peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. So again, no fear. You don't have to fear anything if you're obeying the Lord God. Verse 7, you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. So another blessing of obeying God's laws would be having power over their enemies, leading a victorious life. And you know, we see that in the children of Israel at times. We see it in the life of Gideon, one of the judges in the book of Judges, how he fought with 300 men. And he actually didn't even fight, but God took him and 300 men and gave them a mighty victory over a multitude of Midianites. And so that's, we see it lived out in the Old Testament. You see it in the story of Jonathan, the son of Saul, as he was obedient to the Lord, God gave him victory in battle over the Philistines. Same with David and his mighty men. So we read it over and over. God says, if you obey me, there's going to be blessings. And we see that literally as we read through the Old Testament. 
Verse 9, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. So not only would all these other blessings, but God's promises would be fulfilled in their lives. Verse 10, you shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. So they wouldn't have to fear running out of supplies, running out of what they need, maybe their food or their, you know, whatever it is that they needed for sustenance, for survival. They wouldn't need to fear of running out. God would supply all their needs as they needed it. I've got uh, a brother that I was on the phone with yesterday, and uh, he was telling me that uh, the job that he has, uh, they were eliminating his job from his company. And so uh, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's going on? Are you going to go on unemployment? Uh, What are you going to do? And he said something to me that just kind of sat with me. Uh, He said, you know, I've got a quiet confidence that God's going to provide. And sure enough, uh, he sent out some resumes and he's got contacted from some people. And it looks like he has a job lined up. Uh, um, And and so... uh, you know, what hit me, what struck me was just that phrase, I've got a quiet confidence that God would provide something. And you know, when we're following the Lord God, when we're obeying him, when we're living according to his laws, we have that confidence, that quiet confidence, no matter what's going on around us. And right now there's a lot of junk going on around us, but we have that quiet confidence that God's going to provide. You know, Jesus put it this way, In Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34, he said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Such a truth in Scripture, such a principle to live by. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. One of the greatest blessings of following God's laws is having that unbroken fellowship with God himself, having his presence in our lives. At one point, Moses, he says to the Lord God, he says, God, if you don't go with us, I don't even want to lead your people because I don't want to do it without your presence. And it is such a blessing to have God's presence in our lives. And then verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. So God's saying, hey, I took you out of slavery. You were in a very dire situation in Egypt. I took you out of there. I'm bringing you into this land. If you follow me, if you obey my commands, you're not going to be a slave to anybody. And you know, that's so true. There's, there's true freedom in following the Lord. You know, he doesn't want us to be enslaved to our enemies. What enemies might we be enslaved to? We could be enslaved to sin to habits, bad habits, uh, addictions. There's so many things that we could be enslaved to, and God doesn't want us to be enslaved to this. He wants us to be free. And so in these first 13 verses, he gives the blessings of obeying the Lord. And now as we get to verse 14, you'll see the word but begins there, but because now he's going to outline in verses 14 through uh, pretty much to the end of the chapter, the consequences 
of ignoring God's laws, the consequences of disobeying them. So let's read this together. Verse 14, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume your, uh, the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues. The consequences of ignoring God's laws. Not, it would, first of all, he says it will be manifested in their physical bodies, diseases, ailments. It would also be manifested in their minds, they would have sorrow, regret, uh, terror, fear. You know, in the book of Judges, the book of Judges is, follows right after the book of, of, um, of Joshua. Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. And, and once he died, it says that there was a period then where the people would do whatever, everyone would do whatever was right in their own eyes. You know, we kind of live in a society like that right now, right? Everybody does what they think is right for them. And what you read as you go through the book of Genesis, generation after generation, they are overran by their enemies. They're living in sadness, in defeat, and in fear. Nothing, God, God had never intended that for them. But you read that historically in the book of Judges. And then God would raise up a judge. They would repent of their sins, and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. It wasn't a judge to judge them, but the, the judge was a deliverer. And he would deliver the children of Israel. And maybe for a generation, they would follow. And then soon enough, they would fall back into sin. And they would get overran by their enemies once more. Well, at the time of Gideon, when God raised up Gideon to be a judge for Israel... The story begins, and you find Gideon, he's threshing grain in a wine vat. Why? Because they're hiding their wheat from the, from the marauding Midianite raiding parties that would come into the land. They would steal. They would basically plunder what was in the land, and then, and then they take off again. So they're, they're living in fear. And this is what God says, hey, if you disobey, you're going to be living in that kind of fear. You know, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. Chapter 13 in Romans deals with submitting to governmental authority. And one of the things he says is, he says this, he says, do you want to be unafraid of authority? And I would say that probably all of us say, yeah, I don't want to be afraid of, of the government or the police or, or any, anybody in authority over me. So, and then he says, well, do what's good. But he also says, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. You know, there was a time in my life when uh, I had given my heart to, I grew up in a Christian family and I gave my heart to the Lord as a youngster. But, you know, there was a time where I went through a period of rebellion and I wasn't walking with the Lord. And uh, I, there was a time when, when I was smoking pot and it was when pot was illegal. Now it's legal, but, you know, in some states, but at that time it was illegal. And, and I remember that, that fear of being caught the fear of being discovered. And so if I'd be driving my car or somewhere and there'd be a police officer, I'm all, and then I'd get all tense because I'm afraid of being found out. 
And you know, that's what sin does, causes you to be afraid. And so God doesn't want us to be that way. So he says, if you disobey me, you're going to live in fear. And, and I can tell you from my own experience, it's a miserable way to live. A miserable way to live. Verse 18. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. After all these things that I'm telling you, if you still don't obey you, there's going to be a magnitude greater of punishment. As you're reading this, what you see is God's heart in this. God's heart is not like, okay, you blew it. I'm going to wipe you out. God's heart is that the people of Israel would repent. That's his desire. It's his desire for you and I as well. It's not for their destruction, these consequences. It's that it would bring them to their knees and that they might repent. And so verse 19, he says, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So he talks about, um, uh, you know, after all these things, I'm going to increase a magnitude of punishment. But what does he want them to do? He wants them to humble themselves. He wants to look at verse. Um, let's see, I think I read verses 19 through 20. He basically wants them to repent. Look at, uh, I'm going to continue on here. Verses, uh, oh, there, never mind. I got a little crossed up here. Verse 19, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So he's saying, I'm literally going to stop uh, the rain. The heavens are going to be like bronze. Uh, the earth is going to be, or the heavens are going to be like iron. The earth's going to be like bronze. And what he's referring to literally is you're not going to have rain. You're going to have drought. So there, there's, a, there's a literal connection to their harvests uh, or their lack of it in this case. Um, but there's also a spiritual correlation as well. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. When you're not walking with the Lord or you're in a disobedience to the Lord and you're praying and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm praying, but it seems like the Lord's not hearing my prayers. He's not answering my prayers. You know, I read my Bible and it seems like I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, that could be because you're in disobedience to the Lord. And, and, you know, the thing is, sin causes separation. If I sin against you, or I sin against my wife, or I sin against... There's a separation that occurs naturally between people. But there's also a separation that occurs between our God if we sin against Him. Verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times more for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. 
When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. So here you see this terribly progressive severity of punishment. And yet all the while, God's aiming at bringing them to the place of repentance, not destruction. That's, that's known as the chastisement of the Lord. You know, you and I as New Testament believers, God chastises us as well when we're walking in disobedience to him. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness... Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, as a parent, I remember, you know, you, you do the best you can raising your kids. You do what you feel is right. And when they're in sin, you, you know, you, you address that sin. You address that disobedience and you, you, you punish them. But it's not because you destroy, hate them and want to destroy them. You want, to, you want to change their behavior so they won't go in this destructive, destructive direction. God is the perfect father, and so he chastens his children, and again, not to destroy us, but to bring us to that place where, where we have that, where we're walking in an obedience, and, and we're, then we're able to receive those blessings of obedience. Verse 29, if you read that, it sounds so horrific, doesn't it? It says, you shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. He's talking about cannibalism. You know, that literally happened to the children of Israel. It literally happened to the northern tribes of Israel when Syria surrounded Samaria at the time of Elisha the prophet. They were, they were reduced to cannibalism. We know historically it happened literally to Jerusalem at the time when the Romans besieged Jerusalem in AD 70. They were reduced to cannibalism. It didn't have to be that way, but it was because of their disobedience. 
It was a consequence of their disobedience, of their ignoring God's laws. Verse 31, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. In other words, their sacrifices and their offerings, it would just be dead religion. Oh, they would go through the motions, but God wouldn't accept it. Samuel said this to Saul, King Saul, when he was in disobedience to the Lord. He said, has the Lord, and I'm reading out of 1 Samuel 15, 22, if you're taking notes, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. But if you're walking in disobedience and you're just doing whatever you want to do and yet you're, you're going through the motions, it's just dead religion. It's dead religion. It's not based on a, on, a, on a relationship with him, with Jesus Christ. Verse 32, I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your, hand, your land, excuse me, shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts, into, into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues them. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities which are with them, they shall waste away. Verses 34 and 35, it talks about the land enjoying its Sabbaths. What, what is he talking about? Well, if you've been following our studies in Leviticus, every seven years, the children of Israel were to give a rest to the land. It was a Sabbath year. They were to just, they were not to, not to plow, uh, not, to, not to sow seed and not to plow. They were just to eat whatever grew naturally in the land. And they were to rest the seventh year and give the, give the year a rest. And, and so... For 490 years, the children of Israel ignored God's laws concerning the Sabbath rest. 490 years. You know, sometimes you think, well, God's so impatient. Look, he waited 49 years for them to repent, and they didn't after almost, almost five centuries. And so finally, they went into Babylonian captivity. And God told them, hey, you're going into captivity for 70 years, one year for every Sabbath year that you ignored. You see, when God's laws are ignored, the consequences are inevitable, folks. Well, let's continue on here, verse 40. But, and here's another but. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and they, that they also walk contrary to me and that I have also walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob 
and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. What are the steps of repentance? God's really outlining it here. What are the steps of repentance from sin? Well, first of all, humility. Humility, humbling yourself, acknowledging your guilt, and then confessing your sins. You know, if you, if you do that truthfully from the heart, it results in turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. It's just, it's a natural thing. If you are sincerely repenting of your sins, you're, you're going to want to follow the Lord. You're going to want to turn away from those sins. And so humility, acknowledging guilt and confessing sins. Look at verse 44. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am their law, uh, excuse me, their Lord. Here we see just a beautiful picture of God's grace and his mercy. He says, when, when I punish you and you go into, you're, you're sent away into captivity, I'm still not going to forget my covenant. I'm still not going to cast you away utterly and destroy you. Why? Because God's faithful to his covenant. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. He says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Folks, we serve a faithful God. And even when we walk away in disobedience, God is not faithless. He's faithful. Verse 46. And I want you to pay close attention to this verse. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. I don't know if you caught that. All of these laws that we're reading, this, this last chapter of the blessings if they obey and the consequences for disobedience, God gave them to them, to the children of Israel, while they were still at Mount Sinai. They had not even entered the promised land yet. That wouldn't happen for many years. It's prior, given prior to them even stepping foot in the promised land. Now, Picture yourself being one of the, one of the people and the children of Israel. And, and, and Moses is just communicating what God told him to you. And he's laying out all these blessings for obedience and then all the consequences for disobedience. What would you choose? I, I think it's a no-brainer, right? I want to be blessed. I want to follow the Lord. So I'm going to choose those things. Well, did they? Well, you know, the reality is there were times in their history where they did obey the Lord. And they were blessed just as God said he would bless them. But you know what? More times than not, more often than not, they disobeyed the Lord. And they did bear the consequences that are described exactly here. What's interesting to me is as God's giving them these blessings, if they obey his laws, and then the consequences of disobeying their laws, you know, God already knows in advance what they're going to do. God knows that they're going to turn their backs on him. Why would God choose 
to, to do this? Why would God choose to uh, give them these blessings uh, and, 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 you know, knowing that they're going to turn away from him? I have there's just one answer, the great love of God. The great love of we've been singing about that this morning. Oh, the great love of God. You know, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. And uh, you might go, well, that doesn't seem like a Palm Sunday message. Well, let's take a look at Palm Sunday. Um, I want you to turn to, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to take a look at that for a moment. This is a description of what occurs or what occurred on Palm Sunday or what we call Palm Sunday, I should say. Verse 28, and this is Jesus speaking. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread uh, their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Why would the stones, and he's not talking about Mick and the boys, why would the stones immediately cry out if no one else had worshiped the Lord at that day? Why? Because this day that we're celebrating today, that happened 2,000 plus years ago, that day was meant to be. It's a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. A direct fulfillment of, of a prophecy that occurred 500 years before it actually happened. It's also a direct fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 25. In fact, In Daniel's prophet, in 9 verse 25, many people, myself included, believe that that prophecy outlines the exact day when Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. The 10th day of Nisan, April 6th, AD 32. The exact day. I want to continue reading what occurred next in verse 41 of Luke chapter 19. Now as he drew near... He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. 
For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children with you, within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I want to read verse 42 again. If you had not known even you, and he's speaking to the children of Israel, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. They should have known from the prophets that Jesus was their Messiah. They should have known that Jesus was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9 verse 9. They should have been able to count the days until their Messiah, the prince, rode into Jerusalem based on Daniel chapter 9. What would have happened? What would have happened if they had recognized their Savior, their Messiah? Would Jesus have ushered in his kingdom right then and there? Many people believe he would have. The thing is, we'll never know because they didn't. And so here Jesus, he's weeping over the children of Israel. Why? Because he knows the choice they're going to make. The choice to reject them, to reject him, excuse me, and to turn their backs on him. He knew it beforehand. He knew that in 38 years from that point, in 70 AD, their temple would be destroyed by the Romans and literally one stone would not be left upon another. We know from history that when the Romans, uh, when they went into Jerusalem, uh, accidentally, it wasn't even on purpose, accidentally the temple caught on fire and completely devoured, destroyed the temple. And, you know, the temple was just, it was gold and laid, it was, it was fabulous. Uh, but all that gold melted and seeped into the cracks between the foundation stones. And the Romans, to extract the gold, they literally disassembled the temple stone by stone to take the gold out. It literally happened exactly like Jesus prophesied it would happen. And of course, we know from history that they would be taken captive and they would be dispersed among the nations of the world. And you go, well, why did God weep compassionately for those that he knew they were going to reach? A week, just a week later, they're going to cry, crucify him, crucify him. Why, why would he weep compassionately over them? Because of the great love of God. That's why. But just like in Leviticus chapter 26, God has not forgotten his covenant with the nation of Israel. 2,000 years later, he has been faithful to his covenant to the land of Israel, to, the, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's brought the nation of Israel back into the land 2,000 years later. That's good news for you and I. Why? Why is that good news? What, what does it matter to me if, if God brought the nation of Israel back into the land? Because for 2,000 years, they turned their back on the Lord, and yet God was faithful to his covenant. And if God's faithful to his covenant with the children of Israel, he's going to be faithful to his covenant with you and I, his children. Why? Because of the great love of God. Why would God send his son to die for a world that, in, and by and large, you know, for the most part, has rejected him? 
and still rejects him. Why would God do that? Someone say, if, if God's a God of love, why is he allowing COVID-19 to happen? Why is he allowing people to get struck with this illness? You know what the Bible says? Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What greater love could a person show to you and to me could the father show than to send his own son to die on the cross and he was sinless to die that for your and my sins to pay the price that we should have had to pay there is no greater exhibit of love than that and so people today will say well you know I don't God to, you know all the stuff that's going on in the world you say God's a God of love hey God's already showed the greatest the greatest sign of his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. And so I want to close this chapter, this study here in Leviticus chapter 26, where Jesus has said to the children of Israel, as he's weeping over Jerusalem, he said, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. I don't know where you're at right now in your life. Uh, we've had many people listening in, a lot more than attend our church. So I, I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of things going on that would steal our peace, right? Steal our joy. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's self-inflicted when, uh, co of course, COVID-19 is not so self-inflicted. But, you know, our disobedience and the consequences that come along with it, we bring that on ourselves. God, God gives you the choice to accept him or reject him. And he gives you the choice to ignore his commands or, or obey his commands. And his commands are for our good. And, and so if you're today and, and you don't have peace, there is one way to get that peace. And that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to just encourage you in that this morning. You know, if you humble yourself, if you turn to the Lord, you acknowledge, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. If you pray that prayer, God will answer your prayer because that's his heart for you. That's his heart for me, our repentance. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so my prayer for each one of us is that, you know, we would take that step. And, you know, there was a time in my life when I, I walked away from the Lord and I was doing my own thing. I wanted to experience what the world had to offer. And I can tell you, and, you know, maybe there's some younger people here that are listening in. Maybe, maybe you're forced to listen in because your parents, you know, you, you got to sit down and listen. And you're like, you know, I don't know about all this. I want to experience life. Well, I tell you, I tried it. And it's nothing but sadness and sorrow and regret. But praise God that, you know, we, we have regrets. I'm sure many of us have regrets over things that we've done, choices we've made. But God can take that life and he can transform it if we'll just surrender it to him.